If you will, take your Bibles and open up to where Isaiah read, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. So, <clears throat> I know uh, Pastor Carl's been preaching in Daniel, the latter part of it, and kind of a fill-in Sunday while he is gone. I thought, <clears throat> maybe I should go to some kind of end-time event. There's a lot of things could preach on heaven, could preach on hell, could preach on the rapture, the second coming, um, just lots of different things on eschatology that it could go to. And then I thought, well, uh, no, I don't know exactly what Pastor Carl's planning for his next series, but I thought I will break off and I'll go to a source of encouragement from you, for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. In the title today, you can see Developing Strength in the Time of Weakness Through Suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Couldn't think of a better introduction. There's all kinds of ways that you learn in preach board classes to do introductions into the sermon. And you can tell stories, you can tell narratives, you can use passages. Well, I thought the best way to build up to helping you comprehend and understand what is going on specifically in Paul's life is to just back up a little bit. And so I want you to back up, if you have your Bibles with you, back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This will help us understand where is Paul coming from when he pins under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when he's writing verses 7 through 10, what's going on in his life? How is God using his character, what, the very things going on in his life, to pin these verses, and that way you walk home, you go home, you drive home today, and you take this passage a little bit more personal because you realize not only did the Holy Spirit pen this under inspiration of God for our betterment today and our helpfulness, but something personal was going on in Paul's life and the character of Paul also, Okay. So let's find out what was going on leading him up to penning these verses, okay? So back up. Let's start chapter 11. Let's look at verse 16. I'm not going to read all this, but kind of summarize some of it. Paul says in chapter 11, verse 16, I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise, yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little bit, okay? Sometimes when we hear somebody say, Boasting, we're like, oh boy, this is not going to turn out to be well, boasting about themselves. It's what Paul starts out saying. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly, okay? In this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also, right? It's like, really? So you're glorying after the flesh? I guess I'm going to glory after the flesh too. Um. For you suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take you, if a man ex ex exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, albeit we're in so ever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. And then he does this. The reason he does this is because Paul is being attacked. You know he's attacked a lot 
by not-so-good people. And he goes down through the list, and I'm not going to go down through this list, but he starts out saying, are, are they Hebrews? I also am Israelite, so am I. I. Are they seed of Abraham? So am I. And he goes down through this list, and then he shows a whole list of persecutions. Have they done this? Have they been through this? I have. I've done this. Are they an apostle? I'm an apostle. Are they walking? He goes through this list. What he's doing, actually, he's not necessarily boasting so much in a prideful way, but he's just showing the authenticity of his apostleship. So people will understand, hey, what Paul says is really, really important because he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he goes through there, and then he gets to chapter 12, okay? He talks a little bit more in the chapter about if he's going to glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities in verse 30. Um, and then he gets to verse 12, <coughs> and he says, It is not expedient for me... <coughs> Doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Okay? Mm. How many people come to visions and revelations of the Lord? Well, if that's going to happen, there's an important process to figure out if it's of the Lord or not. That's Okay? Authority of the Scriptures. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such and one caught up to the third heaven, probably the Apostle Paul, okay, um, in a vision, um, getting revelation from the Lord. Verse 3, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory Yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, because how many of you have ever gotten revelation or vision from the Lord? Anybody in here today? Don't raise your hand, because that's a whole other conversation I'll have with you later. But here's Paul having a revelation and a vision from the Lord. That's incredible. And Paul says, I'm going to glory in this, but I'm going to be careful not to glory in this, but to glory in my infirmities. Okay? Verse 6, for though I would desire to glory, I would shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear. Lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. So Paul knows, oh man, this is, this is careful business. I know I'm in an important position. I know the Lord has done some really neat things presently in my life for the purpose of the good of the church and the glory of God. I want to glory and think, say, look at me, look at, I'm an apostle. I do need to establish apostleship. I do need to establish the authority of the Lord in me, and that is right. And he should do that, especially against so many people. I call them little, if you have a chihuahua, I am so sorry. I like chihuahuas, kind of, not really, i got to be honest. They're like little nippers at your ankles. And that's what they were with Paul everywhere he went. They were trying to destroy his work, uh, mostly the Jews and Judaizers. And so this is what's going on, and he's, he's like, I've got to establish authority, but at the same time, I want to give the Lord honor and glory, and I don't want to puff myself up too much because 
believe it or not, in Paul's life, he seemed like Superman for Christ. There was a tremendous tendency to be puffed up and to boast and to be filled with vanity and pride. I don't know if that, how often that goes on in your life. But I, I wrestle with the same things in my life. And what that does is it has a tendency, I need to come back developing strength in the time of weakness through suffering in my life. And that's where God is leading Paul in this passage, in his present life, uh, to find out how it will help us. So I come to our outline now, and I want you to see, number one, our need is that self-exalting would be buffeted. We see that, folks, in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through abundance of the revelation, the revelation that he just got, he got called up into the third heaven, it's probably Paul. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, I know you've heard lots of sermons on this. I think when I first come a couple years ago, somebody, maybe Pastor Dale or somebody was preaching on this passage, but every time you come to a passage, it's rich and you can develop more in exposition, application out of it. Paul acknowledges the, the possibility that pride could have exalted himself in him because of revelations. I don't know what it could be in your life, but what does it take to uh, develop pride in your life? Paul's life, the Lord allowed events to combat the pride. That is why you see the great list of physical sufferings in chapter 11. He was shivering, he goes through all these hungry, suffering, all these difficulties, stoned. He goes through all these difficulties. Now, with visions in chapter 12 and revelations from the Lord, being in the presence of the Lord himself, there was really a tremendous danger of pride. It might rear its ugly head. You don't know that. You're walking throughout the day. You have this appointment. You have this arrangement. You're running to Walmart. You're going and doing this. And you're not intending to be proudful. You're not intending for vanity to come out in your life. You're not intending to be fleshly. I mean, you get challenged every week by Pastor Carl about don't walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit, Galatians says. And, and so we're challenged every week to be in God's word and let God's Holy Spirit rule and reign in our life and not walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. And you go to Walmart, you go wherever, and all of a sudden somebody says something, somebody does something, you hear a song, something goes on, and pride rears its ugly head. To prevent this in Paul's life, in a life God permitted a thorn to come and remain in Paul's flesh. It would be a constant reminder of Paul's weakness. And folks, sometimes we need to be reminded that really we're not that strong. We're weak. We need that reminder. God actually allowed Satan to buffet him, which literally means to strike or to beat him with a fist. That's what that word means. And apparently the thorn was a chronic affliction that served as a reminder to Paul that he was still an ordinary mortal. He didn't have a great big S on his shirt. He was supernaturally endowed by the Holy Spirit and working for the Lord, but he was still an ordinary mortal, dependent on God for strength to, to fulfill, fulfill his mission. Now, there's been a lot of discussion over the years about what the thorn was, and I don't have anything new under the sun to tell you other than what other commentators have said I do believe flesh here is talking about the physical body, I, I believe. Um, and it probably explains the thorn. I would agree it's probably some kind of disease or an ailment. Could have been epilepsy. Could have been headaches. 
Anybody in here get headaches at all? Migraines, uh, stress headaches. Um, I don't know exactly. It could have been an eye disease. A lot of you have glasses on today. Some of you have had cataracts removed and surgeries and nearsighted, farsighted. I've actually had, in 99, a a right corneal transplant, and then in 2000, my first year of preaching, I worked off the other eye. They would transplant for, and then 24 stitches, microscopic for a year, healing, and then I had the left eye uh, corneal surgery done. They told me I was going to get uh, uh, a disease that you go blind, and I'm like, oh, right. A couple of years ago, God called me in a full-time ministry, and now you tell me I'm going to go blind? Come on. Something is hilarious about this. So it could have been an eye disease that Paul was getting. It could have been malaria. Many of us know missionaries. You've heard missionaries. We have close friends. One friend, uh, his kids have had malaria like over 30, 40, 50 times. Um, A number of possibilities. The reason why many people think it's an eye disease is because Paul wrote to the Galatians in what? The thing that I need today, the large letter Bible, I need those. And he, so he wrote to Galatians in large letters, And actually, they were willing, actually, if they could take out their eyes and give it to the apostle so he could read with their good eyes, they would have done that, wouldn't they? Such servants. So that's why people think maybe it was maybe like an eye disease. Whatever the disease was, Paul said it was caused by who? A messenger of Satan. The Apostle Paul, (coughs) serving, working for the Lord, and Satan (coughs) comes along and does this to him? Folks, really, you're serving, working hard for the Lord, and the Lord allows Satan to come and buffet you, give you a thorn in the flesh? (coughs) It was allowed by God, and it was actually used by God to accomplish... An important purpose in Paul's life and in your and our life. Whatever we're doing during the week. Job's thorn in the flesh was caused by who? Do you remember? Satan, right? And it was allowed by God, it was allowed by God and used to him to accomplish important purposes. Paul finds himself painfully afflicted for the purpose that he should not be exalted above measure because of all that he had experienced with God. Well, I've been through the third heaven. I've gotten revelation from God himself. I've had visions. Whoa, Paul, settle down now. It's all about me and not about you. Isaiah and I were talking this morning. uh, He must increase Christ and we must decrease. And so, Paul, be careful. The English word messenger is the Greek word angelos. And most of you know, angelos means an angel. So if this was from Satan, the angel has to be what? A what? A demon. Right? Suffering in God's people shows that bodily pain has a special purpose in the work of sanctifying or growing his children. Suffering comes in different forms, folks. In... um, I thought I had it on here. In Job's situation, the extreme suffering was not a result of extreme sin, but to glorify God. 
Um, sometimes we suffer simply because we are human, folks. Our bodies change as we, what? Some of you have gray hair out there like I do. Some of you squint like I do. Some of you, Jim, is your knee feeling a little bit better now? Healing, getting better and better. These things happen, don't they? With age. Um, they, they, we get, we're growing older. There's problems with our bodies. This is life. And actually, there's no escaping it, is there? There's no escaping it. Sometimes we suffer because we are foolish and disobedient to the Lord, folks. Our own rebellion may afflict us. Or the Lord may see fit to chasten us in his love. You remember so well, Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 3 says, whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth. King David, he suffered greatly because of his sin. He was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? And I'm looking at a lot of men and women in this room today. You have a heart after God. You love him daily, weekly. You're just serving him in the way God has given you platforms to serve him. And David had that same heart. But he sinned greatly. And the consequences were so painful, and so was the discipline of God. We have a psalm, Psalm 51, that tells us all about that suffering and painful time in his life. And I'm wondering, <clears throat> you have a heart after God, many of you in here today. If it was inspired, if there was a psalm to write about a very painful, sinful time in your life, I wonder what that would look like. I wonder if it would look a little bit like Psalm 51. In God's grace... In his grace, he forgives our sin, doesn't he, as believers, doesn't he? But in his justice, he must permit us to reap what we sow, Galatians chapter 6, right? I teach my kids that all the time. Listen, God will forgive you. He'll forgive me because daddy's not above you. Daddy sins, you sin. He'll forgive us. But whatever the sin is, the difficulty of the consequences could pertain to that sin also. What you sow is what you reap. Sometimes, folks, God uses suffering as a tool for building godly character. Sometimes. Paul was a man rich in Christian character and theology. We know that Romans is a very rich, one of the most difficult New Testament books in the Greek to understand. We're very rich in theology. Very rich in character. Why? Because he submitted to God's molding his painful suffering situations in life. It wasn't a bed of roses for Paul. We all know that. There was a lot of suffering. You want to be an apostle like Paul? You want the glory that Paul had? You want people to talk about you and like, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet Paul someday? You got to be willing to go through the suffering also that Paul went through also. Many of us, I don't know that many of us are willing to go through that suffering like Paul did. For what reason God has or is or will let suffering and pain go on in your life, I don't pretend to know today. But I do know this. It is good for your good and for my good that God allows suffering. In this room, there is so many unique individual situations not like others. I'm looking at a lot of faces. I don't know what you have been through. I don't know the surgeries, the sicknesses, the diseases, the illnesses, the distresses, the heart aches, the discouragement, the depression, the pain. I don't know 
everything that you have went through. But God does. Sometimes he does allow suffering for our good. Not just in the past, not just in the present, but it's coming, folks. All you people here today, it's coming. Suffering and pain as Christians. Our need is that self-exalting would be buffeted. So, when the suffering comes, just make sure it's not coming because of my pride or your pride or our vanity, vainglory. Just eliminate that and make sure that you don't think you are Mr. Supreme Person or Miss Number One Person. Okay? And then secondly today, our desire is that we would have relief and deliverance from the buffeting. And this is really, really important. This would really come into play greatly today in biblical counseling. Lots of people are taking their lives, committing suicide, not just the young generation. Older people are committing suicide, taking their lives. However, whatever the situation, lots of desperate discouragement, depression. Our desire, the suffering comes. I want relief. I can't take it anymore. I can't stand waking up in the bed, depressed for three weeks in a row. My spouse is tired of it. My kids are tired of it. Snap out of it. I want relief. I want relief now. I want deliverance from whatever this buffeting is. And when you stop and think about the big picture of what was going on in Paul's life, he's got letters to write, right? He's got a lot of writing to do, right? He's got trips to take. He's got sermons to preach. He's got churches to visit. He's got dangers to face everywhere he goes to minister. His plate is full, folks. Maybe that's why he never married. I don't know. I don't know. Some wives can do that. You know? Um, William Carey, um, Judson, um, a lot of these ladies could do it, could hang right in there with them. Jim Elliott, then you see years of Mrs. Elliott on the radio, right? I wonder why Paul, his plate was packed full. Folks, you can understand that this was a serious matter to him as far as relief and deliverance. I can't lay in this tent, you know, Three years ago, Paul was getting taken care of from this church plant, one of the churches. And now he's making what? What was his platform of survival? Making tents. And now he's laying in this tent for the next three weeks with malaria. Or he can't see, so he needs a a to go ahead and write for him. I, I can't suffer. I can't have this headache because I can't think. I can't preach. I can't teach the... People at Athens, I can't, I need relief. And sometimes you're like, I need relief. I need out of this. This is more than I can handle. Paul would consider the thorn in the flesh a hindrance to his 
busy ministry, right? I've got missions. I've got trips to take. I've got itineraries. I've got 747s to jump on. They're probably not called that anymore. That's, that tells you how much I fly. Not that often. I've got this to do. My itinerary is incredibly full. The papyra. I can't write anything more down. I've got to go. I don't have time to be afflicted. I don't have time for suffering. It's a hindrance to your ministry, Lord. And so Paul desires, his, his desire was that he would have relief from this suffering and repeatedly ask God for relief. He asked God, how many times did he ask? I think like I count 15 times or how many times did he asked him? Scripture? Three times. He asked him three times, at least what was inspired for us to see. I've asked more than three times to be relieved from some, some suffering situations. A lot more than three times. And just ask my wife, she would tell you. The word besought means entreated, implored, urgently appealing. Let me ask you a question this morning. When do you usually ask God for relief? Usually, folks, during the time you are suffering the most, right? That's when you go to God and you plead with him and you ask him for relief. The three occasions on which Paul asked the Lord for deliverance and relief were probably three of the most severe times of suffering from this demon. You and I don't have demons running around causing suffering in your life. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I don't know. Maybe you've had a demon causing suffering in your life. I don't know that. But here's a demon, and he's causing havoc in Paul's life physically. And just like in our lives, sometimes Paul says, please, Lord, could you give me some relief? And the answer is, no. And then Paul says, please, Lord, could you just please give me some relief today? And the answer is, no. That's discouraging in and of itself, isn't it? It's enough to spiral you into a depression. I've asked him twice, and I'm doing all this work for him. I'm serving him, and he won't give me relief. And so, Lord, please, I just need delivered from the suffering and pain today, this week, and so okay, I can get moving in life and not lay in bed in a fetus position and like not getting anything done. Three times. Realize, folks, the prayer of God's people are never unheard. But every believer must learn the lesson that God's answer may be no, plus a better way. He might be saying, no, I'm not going to take away the suffering, the distress, the stress, whatever is in your life right now. Because i got a whole much better way for you in this. So the thorn in the flesh remains with Paul. Just when it seems like discouragement has set in and Satan has been victorious... God's triumphal grace moves in. And before our next point, understand a really important truth that is really, really destructive to those healing ministries. And again, if you love to sit back in your chair and turn TBN on or, and watch those shows, and please talk to me later. I'm not here to try to offend you, anything like that. But if you're into those healing ministries, I would love to just do a Bible study, chat with you later, not uh, so much... Uh, challenge you right now, but listen, 
This incident demonstrates the fact that earnest and believing prayer for healing of physical suffering does not always result in removal of the suffering. Are you suffering? Come on up here and we'll make sure it's gone today. You will be healed today. It might be that God doesn't want it to be removed today. It might be that Satan, a demon, or just life in general is causing that suffering. It could be sin. It could be that you're just trying to glorify the Lord in your life. It could be natural. But it does damage to those healing ministries that say they're going to heal you immediately. And some of you have probably been through some of those situations in here. Number three, God's reasons why he refused to remove the buffeting in verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Number one, guard against being puffed up. Paul just spends a good portion of text explaining that boasting is unprofitable but is necessary to defend himself. He explains that. He had these incredible visions and revelations which could easily cause Paul to think much better of himself. We must always lift up Christ and not ourselves. The gospel alone can save people it can grow people, not our personal spiritual experience. Paul had to guard against being puffed up, and so do we. Secondly, uh, to reveal the power of Christ, Paul says in the text. God answer, his answer to Paul's prayer is that he would provide, I will give you grace, and I will give you divine strength to sustain you regardless of your trial. And Paul had already said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, that with every temptation, the Lord always provides a way out. He always provides an escape route to bear up under the difficulty. And this is the summit or peak of Paul's entire apostleship. His calling, his conversion, folks, his weakness, his trials, his labors, his, all his conquests, all center around the sufficient grace of God. God's Power reaches its perfection through human weakness. Listen, I don't know. I know if we turn the light system off, it would take a while for them to come back on. But can you guys see the smallest of light up here? See that? The, the, the smallest of light shines most brightly in the darkest of nights. If the lights were shown, you would see this so clearly. The Lord reveals his strength most completely in our hopelessness. When everything around us seems desperate and dark, that, folks, is when he really comes in and strengthens us. Christians are, you and I are like tea, folks. Our real strength does not show until we are in hot water. I mean, life is going great. The wife's happy, the husband's happy, children are doing great. Everything is just going wonderful. But all of a sudden, hot water situations of life come in. And that really shows you what you're made of. The greater the servant's weakness, the more apparent is the power of God and all-sufficient grace. Now, having learned the lesson Jesus taught him through the thorn, Paul experienced an attitude change. 
you look at those verses and you're like, he asks, 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 please take it away. All of a sudden, he has an attitude change. He now would rather gladly glory in his weakness and suffering. Before, he's trying everything he can to get remedy from it. And now he's like, I want to glory in it. Why? He realized his helplessness was in order for the power of Christ to rest upon him. So his ministry would be actually more enhanced through the suffering by the demon than it would be if he went out by himself and he went out and I'm an apostle, look at all my puff-upness, my pride. He realized, wow, the power of Christ is on me if I'm weak and, and Christ is resting upon me, working in me. Paul would rather have the power of Christ working in him than have relief from suffering. And that's where you and I need to come to. Don't just immediately link. I need relief, I need relief, I need relief. You need Christ. You need Christ. For us, too much of the time we want the quick fix to get to relief from suffering. Give me a pill. Give me a prescription. I'm going to go to the doctor. Give me a prescription. Give me an antidepressant. We'll talk about that later too. I know many of you, I'm not stupid. I know many of you are on antidepressants probably in this room. That's a whole nother discussion, but it's not a quick fix. Give me a pill. Give me a credit card for spending. Ha, give me a credit card. When I go out and buy five more pairs of shoes, I feel happy. Uh, a couple of dresses or a wallet or a purse. Give me a credit card. Let's go get something to eat. Lots of ice cream. And I am happy. Give me some Briar's ice cream. I am happy, right? Um, give, me, give me a drink. Maybe vaping. I'll get out and do some vaping. Give me a drink. It's very, very real. We're sitting in this baptistic, Bible-believing group of people thinking, oh, none of this would, this would be beyond. It's very real in every local church and every congregation, in our lives, in our children's lives, in our grandchildren's lives. Very real. We miss the bigger picture of developing a greater dependence on God and His sufficient grace through the power of God, when we turn to everything but his grace. And a word of warning, there is an errant theology called aesthetic theology. Aesthetic theology means that by means of self-inflicting bodily wounds, cutting myself. They're not Christians, but young ladies and young men are cutting themselves, taking them away from the pain of thinking, I want to commit suicide. So if I cut my wrist, if I cut myself, if I poke myself with holes, the pain is so excruciating, I will forget I'm going to kill myself. And it stops them from jumping off a bridge or committing suicide. I know it's radical with us. You know, we're older, we're down here in Myrtle Beach, we're enjoying life and the beach. It's going on in life. That's not some kind of justification before God at all. It's wrong. Paul's thorn was not self-induced, but given, folks, for God's glory and for our good. Uh, it's to teach us to live for Christ. Paul continues to say, that now he takes pleasure in sufferings. The key is for Christ's sake. In verse 10 it says, for Christ's sake. That's the key, folks. The lesson he learned was priceless. So our pride wants to say that we are independently strong enough to handle the situation, and so we receive the glory instead of God receiving the glory. Instead, our weakness of self helps us to become strong in Jesus Christ's power, which gives God the glory. So will you continue to think that you are strong, tough enough to handle the hard times? Sometimes I think I am. Sometimes I want my wife, I want my children to say, Dad can handle it. Dad's my, I want them to think Dad can handle it. I can lean on my husband, I can lean on my father, I can lean on Dad because Dad leans on Christ. Not because Dad could handle it all these years. He's got big enough shoulders, he's tough enough. 
Will you continue to think you're tough enough to handle hard times? Or will you understand your weakness and absolute brokenness before God, before God is necessary to see the strength of Christ in your life? God wanted to keep Paul from being exalted above measure, and this was his way of accomplishing it. A lot of times I like to end in the next couple minutes with practical observations and applications, and you say, my goodness, you've already given a, a ton of practical observations and applications from the text. But let me end here with some real quick ones for you to think about. The spiritual is far more important to the dedicated believer than the physical. I know we all understand that, but it really is, folks. This isn't to suggest to let our bodies just deteriorate, sit and watch eight hours of TV and eat bonbons all day long, right? Or go to the gym and work out for 10 hours and be Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's not, that's not what we're talking about. The spiritual is more important than the physical. We don't neglect one over the other, but the one is more important. Secondly, God knows how to balance burdens and blessings. There's burdens in your life and there's blessings. And then there's suffering and there's glory. He knows how to balance those. He does. And then thirdly, not all sickness is caused by sin. Don't anytime you get a sickness and illness uh, or whatever it is, think, oh, okay, all right, get on my knees. All right, Lord, forgive me. Uh, I said this to my son. Or there must be some kind of sin that's causing my gallbladder to be inflamed and I got to take it out. Or I've got this illness or sickness. The argument of Job's comforters was that Job had sinned and that he, that is why he was suffering, right? But their argument was right or wrong, folks. It was wrong in Job's case. That was bad. That wasn't even biblical counseling. Be careful of who you get counsel from. How would you like to have friends like Job's friends as a Christian? <laughs> Wouldn't like that counsel. There are times when God permits Satan to afflict us so that God might accomplish a greater purpose in our life. We don't know what it is. But sometimes God does do that. And then fourthly, there is something worse than sickness, actually. And that is sin. And the worst sin of all maybe is pride. Maybe that's coming from myself because I tend to be a very proudful person. Pride, pride says, look at me, not Christ. Pride gives you all the credit, gives God no credit. Pride gives you all the glory and dims the glory of God. The healthy person who is, listen to this, the healthy person that is rebelling against God is in worse shape than the suffering sick person who is submitting to God and enjoying his grace. It is completely a paradox, folks, that God used Satan the proudest of all beings ever to keep Paul humble. Isn't that a paradox? It's crazy to think about. Fifthly, physical affliction need not be a barrier to effective Christian service. Today we're so proud to pamper ourselves and use every little ache or pain as an excuse not to, I want to say, come to church. We've been using those kind of tactics for all these years. Come to church. Let God work on your heart. Don't come to church because I'm like, oh, you're going to use a hangnail not to come to church. Come to church because you love God. And you love God's people and you love to serve him. This is a great place of encouragement and worshiping God. But also be careful of the little aches and pains about not ministering to people. I just don't feel like getting out of bed and 
bacon brownies and take them to that person, or I don't feel like doing a study if that person, or I'm just not, like, be careful a little bit. Sometimes when you're suffering is the best times to get away from self-pity, feeling bad about yourself. I'm so depressed. You know one of the best ways to get out of your depression? Go grab a pill. Grab a person. Pills versus people. It's kind of my motto. I know some, sometimes pills are necessary. I'm not talking. I love doctors and I love prescriptions and I love the medical world. But be careful, okay? That you don't take a pill to get out of the suffering when you should go help a person to get out of your little world of, you know what I'm talking about, folks. Paul did not permit the thorn in the flesh to become a stumbling block. He was still busy, wasn't he? In fact, look at all God accomplished through Paul in his weak state compared to Paul, what he would accomplish in his own strength. He wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Isn't that amazing? The different missionary journeys he took, the different churches that he church planted. He did all this with a thorn in the flesh. If he did all that while being afflicted, what can we do if we're not afflicted in a thorn in the flesh? Right? He did all that because of the sufficient grace of God. With the power of Christ resting on him. For Christ's sake and the ultimate glory of God. You can too. You have Christ in your life. You have Christ's grace in your life. You have the power of Christ resting on you. You can do it for Christ's sake, for the glory of God. And then lastly this morning, we can always rest in God's word. We can always rest in God's word. Go read the Psalms. Sometimes when you need a great amount of encouragement. Because there's a lot of, I'm convinced, there's a lot of crying and weeping and discouragement and encouragement and help in the Psalms. Go read those. Developing strength in the time of weakness through suffering, folks. That same power that Paul experienced can be yours today if you would just not rely on your own strength, but you would rely on God's strength. As Jim comes and Miriam comes to play the piano, I don't know what's going on in your life. I will use this as an opportunity, folks, for you. There's been suffering in the past, not now. There is suffering now. There isn't suffering now. There's going to be maybe suffering in the future. I don't know multiple reasons why I'm not God. He is, and you are his children. How is he using them in his life? Is there sin? Just deal with that. You know it. Deal with that if it's in, Hebrews 12. If not, if he's trying to use you in a greater way. I've said over and over, I look at Pastor Stan. He's one of my heroes. He doesn't complain. He's an encouragement to me. You can use difficulty, suffering, distresses, and see God's grace rest upon you and draw people to Christ. He might have a stronger platform in his life right now. I respect him so much. And maybe when he was standing preaching, I see Christ in his life. So allow God to be glorified. Whatever kind of decisions you need to make, we say this every week, but if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're not in God's family. You kind of think you're a Christian. You kind of think you're a religious person. You don't know for sure 
whatever it is in your life, give it over to the Lord and respond to him. Uh, we're going to sing, is your all on the altar, one verse. And then after that, Mark, if you would go ahead, we're going to stand as Jim comes. And after we're done, Mark, if you would go ahead and dismiss us in prayer. Yes, Mr. Green. And then you folks have a tremendous day. Looking forward to Pastor Dale coming tonight, uh, giving a tremendous message tonight. Be praying for him. And so may God have his way in your life today.